morning. It's good to see each and every person that's here, our membership, our visitors alike. We're always so delighted to be able to come together and offer worship to the God who made us, for the God who, of whom it is said in Mark 7, 37, He doeth all things well. Surely there are many concerns and matters that come across your mind and mine, not only in our own families, but our neighbors and those whom we love. Many things been mentioned, of course, even here today, and our hearts do rush to those families who are in grief, those who are bereaving the loss of loved ones. If I could ask you to think for the next few moments this morning about a lesson I've entitled, A Study of Anger. As you, as you and I come to this next slide together, we will notice on that occasion that several introductory comments, several introductory matters are themselves to be stated. Isn't it true that so many emotions come to your life and mine? There's happiness and there's joy, there's concern, and yet among all the things that you and I experience, to that list might well be added very quickly an appreciation of anger. Maybe you've thought often about anger. Is it wrong to be angry? If it is, then you and I need to appreciate that very clearly. But on the other hand, if it isn't sinful, if it isn't wrong to be angry, what kind of regulations concerning that particular disposition does God have in store for us that we might manage it correctly and in fact use it in a way that would bring glory to Him? Maybe you and I have often known anger. We've even been in the presence of others who are exceedingly angry. Today we're going to study about anger. I suspect all of us can learn some things about it that you and I might live in the way that we should, ever appreciative of the strong feelings that can come along with anger. You'll notice one of the things, anger does seem so natural, doesn't it? But that naturalness doesn't mean that it shouldn't go unappreciated. Did you note this with me? 234 times in the Bible the word anger occurs. That's a lot. As you add together the occurrences in both the Old and New Testaments, we find hundreds of times then that anger was either present in the lives of those of whom the Bible writes, or it was expressly stated to be true of God. It is for that reason we now ask those questions at the bottom. Like I mentioned a moment ago, is it wrong? If it is, may you and I then know that, but if it isn't, what does the Bible say about it? As we come to the next slide and begin our study, we'll then recognize it's entirely right to make some initial comments along this line. First of all, let's define it. Anger is an exceedingly strong feeling of displeasure, quite often accompanied by antagonism. Now that's according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, admittedly. But that strong feeling of displeasure... That understanding that quite often is accompanied by antagonism immediately leads us to note just a few, a sampling, if you please, of some Bible occurrences. And along the, our discussion of these, let's note what it was that prompted the anger. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 28, David was just a youth at that time, and his brothers had gone off to fight in the war against the Philistines, and of course Saul was the king of Israel. David's oldest brother was a man named Eliab. And when David came to see how the brothers were doing, Eliab became angry at his brother David. 
He didn't think David had any business being there. He thought he needed to be home tending the sheep, and that was about it. The text says Eliab became angry. Would it be fair to say he thought it was in light of the rather unwise choice of his brother David? Look at another example. In Exodus 32, 19, Moses became angry. So much so that as he descended the mount, he took those tablets on which the Word of God had been written and he broke them as he cast those tablets down. What made Moses so angry? It was the foolish and sinful choices of those people that were the people of Israel. He couldn't believe they made that choice to dance and worship around the golden calf. Let's look at some more examples that made other people angry. In Judges 14, 19, you notice there, Samson became angry. Now, the scene was he had told a riddle again to the Philistines, oddly enough, and they, by their association with Samson's wife, had figured out the answer to the riddle. And it made Samson angry. He, in fact, rather plainly told him, you'd never have figured it out if you had not plowed with my heifer. He spoke, he made reference to their activities with that kind of language, but he became angry. Here he was angry at the choices, the movements on the part of these other people doing things they never should have done. What about this example in 2 Samuel 12, verse 5? David became angry. This time the scene was Nathan the prophet had come before him and told him this very amazing record, the story, in fact. There was a, a poor man. He had a little ewe lamb. That lamb was close to him and his family, but there was a rich man, and he, of course, had access to a lot. But when some guests came to dine and to be with the rich man, he went and killed the one little ewe lamb that the, his poor neighbor had. And David became angry because that isn't right. That's unjust. It's unfair. And he should never have took the property that belonged to somebody else. David became angry. What about that scene as you and I describe it? In both those examples, it was impropriety on the part of someone that led to anger in somebody else. We may at this point pause, has someone else ever done something that made you so angry you couldn't believe they made that choice, that hurtful, foolish decision that they made? Maybe we've all been there. Let's go to our next point of consideration. In Numbers 24, verse number 10, a man named Balak became very angry. Here's the reason why. He, you see, was the king of a Moabite region. And you and I well remember he had sent and brought Balaam and said, You curse these people, Israel, for me. And yet when Balaam uttered the things he did, he blessed them instead and Balak became angry. I ask you here to curse them and you blessed them. Notice Balak became angry because Balaam didn't do what he wished Balaam to do. What about another example in Esther 1 verse 12? A king became angry then. A man named Ahasuerus, he was the Persian king at the time. And you may remember he had a wife whose name was Vashti. She was the queen. And Ahasuerus made this choice. Vashti, you come and you dance before my nobles and these who are with me. And she said, I will not. She wouldn't come. 
Ahasuerus became very angry. Those two examples. People didn't do what the person expected them to do, and the person became angry. One more time, might we ask, have you or I ever become angry because we expected someone to do something and they didn't do it the way we asked or the way that we thought was best? Well, maybe one more sets of examples. In Numbers 22, verse 27, one more time in relation to the days of Balaam, this one you and I might describe in ways like this. This time, Balaam became angry at a donkey. That's all I need to say. You remember the record, don't you? Balaam was riding on his donkey, and the donkey could see there was an angel in the way. Balaam couldn't see him. And in fact, the donkey went aside and even hurt Balaam's foot. And on another occasion, he turned out of the way and ran into the field, and Balaam beat the donkey. Balaam became angry. You notice, I described it like this. Balaam couldn't understand why the donkey wasn't just riding along the pathway, doing what he always ought to do. Balaam's anger was again because the thing he desired is not what came to pass. In Jonah 4 verse number 1, Jonah became so angry when God forgave the Ninevites. Here was an enemy people. They were the enemy of the Israelites. They were Israel's enemy. And yet, I preached to them and God forgave them and I don't like it. I want God to punish them, to destroy them. That's what Jonah wanted. Not a very great example of a follower of God, is it? But isn't it true that among other things, we can see those two examples, somebody became mad so much so they were angry because what they wanted to happen didn't happen. But what they wanted to happen was not what needed to happen. You see, as you and I think about anger, sometimes a human being, we can get angry when we don't have all the facts, we don't have all the information. Things may not be as they appear. That's what happened on this occasion. Let's close that slide by noting one final thing. In Luke 15, 28, in our Savior's record dealing with the prodigal son, there, of course, was a boy who had been given what he had asked for. Give me my part of the inheritance, he said. And Dad gave it to him. And he went off and spent it in riotous living in a far country. Perhaps it's sad when you and I think about wasting what Dad had taken so long to earn and to throw away what had been accomplished over so many years of effort. But Dad gave it to him and he squandered it. In verse number 28, we have a record of an older brother. And that older brother said, Dad, I've been here the whole time. I've not wasted your stuff. I've been a dutiful and thankful son. And you never gave me a kid to enjoy with my friends. The son became angry. Angry over Dad's response to the receiving of his son. The dad said, my son was dead. He's alive again. And dad was happy and rejoicing that the son was safely back home. But the older brother was angry. Maybe we've already looked at enough passages, and that's just a sampling of the 234 of them in the Bible. Let's begin to note some lessons, some observations as we come to the next slide. Highlighting perhaps this one. And I entitled it this way so that we would make this point immediately. 
Anger is not sinful, but it can lead to sin. And that distinction the Bible makes on many occasions, in fact, as you and I begin, I hinted at this earlier, but maybe it's time to even more noticeably emphasize it. Of those 200 or more references in the Bible, a large number of them are that God is angry. Let me say that again. Of that over 200 references in the Bible, many of them are that God's anger was kindled for one reason or another. Our God can become angry. The God that you and I honor and we serve Him and we worship Him, He too is one who experiences anger. And many times in the Word of God, that anger is recorded for us. For instance, in Numbers 11, verse number 1, God became angry when the children of Israel complained and murmured. Here was a people whom He had brought out of Egypt. He fed them with manna six days a week is when they gathered it and they had enough for even the seventh day. He had protected them. He would watered them out of a rock and they had the nerve to complain. God's anger was kindled. To that might we add Numbers 32, 13. You and I remember after two years of wandering, they came to the southern border of the promised land and they were going to be ushered into the land of flowing with milk and honey then. But God became angry because they didn't believe Him. Remember, they'd sent out the spies and ten of them came back and said, We can't take this land. There's giants in it and it's a powerful and well-protected land and we're not able to do it. And God became angry because they didn't believe Him. May you and I notice here to the children of Israel, they felt His anger and for 38 more years they wandered in a wilderness and they died and their carcasses were strewn across the wilderness of sin because they didn't believe Him and God became angry. May you and I be aware that God's anger is a serious thing. Another example in Joshua 7 verse 1, the children of Israel had now come into that land of Canaan and begun to conquer it. God told them, when it comes to Jericho, don't you take any of the spoils for yourself. But Achan did. He took a Babylonian garment and he took some silver and some other things and hid them under his tent and God became angry. Why? Because they didn't obey him. You and I are going to have to face an angry God someday if we've been disobedient. We're going to have to face an angry God someday if we haven't done what He told us to do. To that, might we add one last listing. In 1 Kings eleven nine, God became angry at Solomon. Here was the very son of David and God became angry with him. Why? Because Solomon had chosen to join himself in affinity, marriages to these heathen peoples and they led Solomon's heart away from God. God became angry. One more time, as you think about all of these examples, they lead us to notice our Savior became angry. Jesus. Isn't it true that so often He is portrayed as a man who is meek and mild and who never raised His voice at anything? But that isn't so. Jesus became angry. There's a scene in Mark chapter 3 that we often overlook. There was a man who had a withered hand. And Jesus was ready to heal that man. And there was a whole group of people watching. It was a Sabbath day. And 
They were all wondering, is he going to violate and break the Sabbath by healing this man? After all, that would violate it. Jesus started the conversation as he looked at them and said, is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? They didn't say a word. It was silent. The text says Jesus became angry because he knew what was in their heart and they thought more about their own human regulations and it was not the law of God than they thought about the well-being of a sick man. Jesus became angry. You and I remember on two different occasions. One of them recorded for us early in the book of John. The other in Matthew 21 where Jesus came into the temple, that great structure in the city of Jerusalem. And there were tables in which the money changers were doing their business. As you and I add perhaps a comment, you remember the way that that worked. The Old Testament had stated that those who come to the tabernacle, and that later became the temple, they had to pay a half shekel in tax. Now the Old Testament had asserted then that reference to a half shekel, but now Roman money was not the half shekel. And so when folks came to Jerusalem to take care of their duty in paying that, they had to take their Roman money or other money they had and exchange it for the half shekel so they could pay it according to what they considered the Old Testament demand to be. And obviously, those changers would keep a portion for themselves. It's just like today when a person travels to a foreign country. If you go to some place like France, you need French money. An American dollar won't do it. So at the airport over there, when you come off the airport, you take your American dollar and you exchange it for French money. But of course, in the exchange, they will charge you a little bit of fee in order to exchange it. That's what these folks were doing, but they were charging exorbitant amounts. And they were making a business out of what ought to have been worship to God. Not only that, there were tables in which there were animals present because they needed to have doves so they could offer them. And so they again made a business. Jesus became angry. My father's house ought to be a house of worship and you've made it a den of thieves, he told them. Jesus overthrew the tables that had the money on it. He drove the animals out of the temple. Did he, was he angry? He sure was. Did he ever sin? He didn't. That tells us, right, that one can become angry but not sin. Let's develop our thoughts even further. In fact, in Ephesians 4.26, the very lesson text that was read in our hearing a moment ago, let's cast a spotlight on that when it says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Notice, you be angry. Here's a command. There are times you and I ought to be angry. There are occasions in life that should warrant the anger of a Christian. But he quickly said, Sin not. And therein is where you and I have to work hard sometimes. We mustn't let our anger develop into and lead into activities and actions that themselves are sinful. Be ye angry, Paul wrote, and sin not. Maybe it is in light of that you and I can then say this. Have you ever known somebody whose anger was such that they would lead into a rage and then really it almost became scary? That's not a wholesome thing for a Christian. 
again, it's not wrong to be angry. But if our temper takes us into places where we say things we shouldn't say, we do things we shouldn't do, then we've erred. We have become one who has engaged in what that verse says we mustn't. Now, isn't it also true as we add that to this list? Think about some of the other passages in the Bible that encourage us in warning about anger. Let's begin in Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-four. I even describe that like this. It can be dangerous to be in the presence of somebody like this. Have you ever known again someone who is so angry and they allow their anger in an uncontrolled way to be dangerous? They might hurt themselves. They might hurt somebody else. They can be destructive to property and other things. This text reads like this, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. You and I must be cautious. If someone is known to be like that, we sure don't want our children to be with them. And even we who are adults must be mindful they could hurt or harm even us. May we be cautious and never allow our anger to become like that. To that, let's add another one in Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9, another warning reminding us of the danger that can accompany uncontrolled anger. All of that perhaps is not that shocking or surprising, but look at this one. In Proverbs 14 verse number 17, the text reads, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. It's very important to note the one who is soon angry. That person who is so quick-tempered, he is not able, at least by way of practice and development, to have learned to control it. The Bible says that's not good. Doesn't that highlight in us that when you and I, upon proper consideration, then become angry, there isn't anything wrong with that. But to become angry so quickly and often with such little reason... That is it a healthy way to be. If that is an issue that faces you or me, may we be cautious and may we expend effort using the teachings of the Word of God to help us overcome this. That kind of anger brings me to note this. Have you ever known someone who seems to be angry most of the time? A person who it seems is almost always angry. That isn't good either. In Proverbs 21, verse number 19, listen to the way this reads. As Solomon wrote this in the days of old, It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. Now all of us, either men or women, there are occasions in life that shall bring us to anger. Things that cause you and I to react toward things in such a way that to be angry is right. But to be that way all the time, or at least most of the time. There it was with respect to a woman. What about a man? I would ask you to notice this text in Proverbs 29 verse 22. As you approach near the end of that book, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Men, you and I too need to appreciate if we're angry almost all the time. It's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for those who love us. It's not healthy for those who are around us. 
God's been too good to us to be angry all the time. He has showered us with too many blessings and gifts for us to be angry all the time. Isn't it true? We're admonished to be people of rejoicing. Happiness ought to be the principal characteristic of those who love the Lord. Proverbs 128 develops that in some detail, doesn't it? As you and I close that slide, isn't it then the case we should be very mindful of those occasions that bring us to anger? Let's use this next slide to help us as we think about what some of those are. In Psalm 37 verse 8, anger is mentioned there maybe in a very unusual way, an almost surprising way. Let me invite you to listen as I read that text before us. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Maybe you've encountered someone who has asserted that there are contradictions in the Bible, and this is sometimes one that's used. We read earlier in Ephesians 4.26, You be angry. But here it says, You don't be angry. Which is it? Is the Bible contradicting itself? And to that you and I know it isn't. This particular passage here is reminding us, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. In other words, don't allow yourself to be angry over things that aren't worthy of being angry. What I've called improper anger. Maybe you and I have been known to get mad over something that wasn't worth being mad over. Something that wasn't that significant and that serious. Or maybe a perception on one person's part that was so different than another. That kind of anger leads me to perhaps catalog it this way. According to the context, this was an anger that was motivated by something evil. Anger that was motivated by something evil. May you and I never allow ourselves to become angry over what is intrinsically evil in the sense that it's improper. Now in a moment, we're going to look at a different scenario. But keeping that in mind, Ephesians 4.31 tells all of us that we've got to control this anger. We must never allow it to come to a point of wrath or malice. We must never allow it to dwell within us to the point of hating somebody. After all, the Bible tells us if we hate them, we've committed murder already. And we cannot be like Jesus that way. And therefore, anger must be watched with care. As you and I come on that slide, you'll notice that parents, we have a great obligation. Fathers, listen to me now. Every one of us, Paul said this, Fathers, bring, provoke not your children to anger. Dads, we can provoke our kids to anger if we aren't careful. We can be inconsistent. We can behave toward them in such a way that is improper. Paul warned fathers, especially on that occasion, not to be guilty of that. Maybe it is in light of all those things. We're ready to look at what's on the next slide as it brings us to this point. Let's listen to Jesus as He also gives us a very carefully stated warnings about anger. It's to be found in the Sermon on the Mount. If you look with me at that passage near the end of Matthew chapter 5, 
Jesus said, beginning in verse number 21, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now that's reading verses 21 and 22 of Matthew chapter 5. And we all noted here Jesus had something to say about anger. Let's develop it somewhat briefly. I've actually copied verbatim some of the statements that Jesus made. Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. That's directly taken from verse number 21. You notice that Jesus preceded that by saying, Ye have heard that it was said. What the Lord was doing was stating what their scribes typically taught and using it to drive home an unforgettable point about anger and that which can sometimes accompany it. So he started by saying, You've heard all your life that this has been taught. You don't kill, and if you do, you'll be in danger of being brought before the judgment. Now, I've described that like this. He referred to then a judgment by a human court. You'll be hauled in and arraigned before a human court. But the Lord went on in the next verse, and He said this. Please note the emphasis. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, the Lord's teaching's different. Verse 22, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Jesus said it isn't good to be angry with somebody without a cause. Now surely one of the things you and I can easily understand as those who love the Lord and those who strive to be Christians, it should lead us to anger when we appreciate somebody doing something that violates the will of God. It should break our heart and make us anger when we appreciate somebody taking the pure worship of God and corrupting it. They add musical instruments to it. They change it in various ways that God has condemned. That ought to cause us anger when we appreciate what worship could be and should be and men have chosen to change it or try to. Or when we think about those who corrupt the plan of salvation, God says this is what has to be done to be a child of God and men have thought they could alter it, change it. That ought to make you and I angry when we imagine in a heartbreaking way how people are lost because they just won't do what God simply says that they need to do. Going back to our text, you'll notice Jesus went on to say this. Verse 22 of Matthew 5, Whosoever shall be angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. There's an ascendancy in that description. First, angry without a cause. That person, he says, danger of the judgment. A human court, that person may then act in a way that's harmful or injurious to the other person, and you may be hauled in to give answer for what you did. 
but note the next ascendancy. That person shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. Now the council was the Sanhedrin court, the highest Jewish court of appeal. Jesus now, in light of that one, you'll know. The description, you'll notice at the bottom, is this. That word, Rekha, Note with me what that indicates. Now, that's not a word you and I ever use because that's written in Aramaic. But it's a word that means a senseless, empty-headed man, a blockhead, a numbskull. Jesus here says to those of His day, if you call somebody this, even an element of anger, that action and that which may go with it may lead you to be hauled before the Sanhedrin and for you to give answer for it. In other words, you've got to be mighty cautious. And note how, what language that sounds like. And the top of the next slide will even take us one step further. In fact, as you look at that one with me, you'll notice it's going to be, Thou fool. Now on this next slide, as we look at it, Jesus again said, Whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Might you notice this one with me? That's a statement of great contempt. A statement of tremendous judgment in light of condemnation. Isn't it true? There are times you and I can imagine, maybe we've even witnessed it, Someone's anger has led them to so strongly blasphemy insult somebody, perhaps even use profanity. That kind of thing, Jesus says, hellfire may be in the balances in light of something like that. Perhaps some of the final words you and I might note today as we draw our lesson to its conclusion. In fact, I've tried to summarize them all on this next slide. As you look at it with me, anger is serious. And there certainly are justifiable occasions in life that you and I will become angry, and there isn't anything sinful in anger by itself. But it's what we allow to happen. If we become angry and then begin to hate somebody in light of it, then we've sinned. Or if we begin to say what is not improper and right, what's accusatory and blasphemous, then we've sinned. Be ye angry and sin not. I hope all of us have been reminded that Jesus was angry. God has been angry many times. And as you and I become angry, may we in care recognize that to not let it become sinful. And with that, let's close our lesson by remembering Jesus' teachings. How that in His life He became angry over things that were proper for anger, but He never allowed it to become sinful. Today, if there's someone in this audience, perhaps in light of your life, perhaps it isn't anger that's the issue, but something else that's separating you from God. Maybe you've become a Christian, but you no longer are living faithfully. You realize that the God of heaven loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you, and He wants you to be a faithful servant of His. He wants you to come back home. But that decision must be yours. He won't force you to come back, but He wants you to. He lovingly desires you to. Today, if you need to come back home, 
this congregation of people here at Pippin would love to celebrate and rejoicingly so at your return in faithfulness. You must confess those errors. You must repent of them and beseech us to approach God for you. May I say that if you've never become a Christian, would you please think with urgency about the moment. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Proverbs 27.1 You and I might breathe our last at some point today. Are you ready? Are you and I prepared for the judgment? We can't die in the Lord unless we live in the Lord. Revelation 14.13 Today, if you're not a child of God, you've never put on Jesus in baptism, why are you waiting? May I ask, why are you delaying? Jesus came, and with urgency He insists, Please realize what I did at Calvary. I shed my blood for you. Won't you live for me? You become a Christian as you believe with all of your heart that He is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of the sins in your life, Luke 13, 5. Confess His name as a Son of God, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And be submissively and humbly immersed in water, we call it baptism for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. We'd be delighted to assist you in that today. If any of these things would be cause and need for you to come forward, we urge you to come. And Jesus invites you to do it now while together we stand and while we sing.